Welcome everybody to episode 42 of SAMA. Uh, this week we've got Dr. Peter Glidden returning to us. He was last on episode 27 where he taught us about the essential trace elements and minerals that we must take for good health. This week we're going to talk about the vaccine, the 2018 flu season vaccine that is being currently used. This year's flu season is devastating. The flu season spans from October through to May each year. And so far this year, 53 children have died from the illness. According to the Centre of Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, older children, young children, pregnant women, and people with long-term health conditions are at greater risk at flu complications. Dr. Peter Glidden will talk to you about what you need to know about the symptoms, risks and tips that can help you stay healthy. Um, Dr. Peter Glidden is a proud pioneer of holistic naturopathic medicine, delivering the touchstone message of health recovery through science-based, clinically verified holistic medicine. And during this interview, he will share with us why is this year's flu shot so much worse than the others? How do we deal with this flu shot? Different options that we may have and also his, he'll share his personal opinions about this year's flu shot. So welcome so much to this week's SAMA, Peter. It's so good to have you back again. The last SAMA that we had together, it started off sort of on track and it went off track and um, it, was, it, was, it was a riveting, riveting SAMA. And I'm sure this will be the same. So um, welcome to all our viewers. Uh, if you want to ask questions during the uh, SAMA webinar, please do so online. You can do this through Facebook or you can do it through, um, if you've registered with the SAMA um, using the Zoom software, you can do it through there, through the chat facility. So welcome, Peter. So tell, so tell us. It's very kind of you to have me here. Th thank you for what you do. There are, you know, if there were a thousand people like you on planet Earth right now, having a platform like this, speaking about the things that you're thinking of speaking about, I think that we could make a big dent in human suffering. So my hat goes off to you, quite frankly. You're doing a great job. Well, you know, it's not me. It's really the people behind my back <laughs> who just make me look good. <laughs> hey, and thanks thanks for the... Now, for all our viewers as well, you'll notice that I'm currently orbiting the Earth. This is courtesy of Dr. Philip Glidden. He, um, he told us how to do this magic. So thanks for, um, for doing that as well. I think I'm, I'm going to join you here. How about that? Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Okay, so why tell me, um, Peter, why why is this year's flu so devastating? It's claimed lives of children. What 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 has changed from other years? Well, there are differences in virulences from you know year to year in the flu bug. For instance, in 1918, there was a Spanish flu, and that was the mother of all flu influenza viruses. I mean, I think the the um, conservative estimates are it killed 400 million people. I mean, it was a it was a big bad voodoo daddy, and it was so virulent that you could be infected in the morning and be dead by the evening. Gosh, it was, and it didn't really matter, you know. Like it, it just affected everybody. Yes. So different viruses, right? Different bacteria, and different viruses, different bugs that affect infect human beings have different virulences and different strengths. And I'm not so sure that it's a function this year of the <clears throat> intensity of the virus itself, because I and many of my colleagues are of the opinion that because the food chain has been so depleted and because we're living in such a toxic environment, which is getting worse and worse every year, not better and better, mm. and because everybody is under the influence of pharmaceutical medicine, and, you know, thank God for Novocaine, right, and the sterile technique. This isn't a diatribe against drugs and surgery. It's not the drug. It's how it's used. But because most people in the world use prescription medications on a regular basis, the, the, the prescription medication, let's keep in mind, is not intended to cure the condition. It's intended to manage the illness, right? I mean, of the sure. thousands of prescription medications which are currently available, the only ones that cure anything are antibiotics. And those are starting to fail us. So we have uh, the entire populations of people 
who are eating food which is less than nutritious, who are exposed to more and more environmental toxins, bad stuff in the air, bad stuff in the food, bad stuff in the water. And then when they do get sick, they go to conventional medical doctors who give them synthetic man-made drugs, the intention of which is not to cure the condition, but to manage it. So as time goes by, the human population is getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why this year's influenza virus is such a, such a son of a gun. It's quite an eye-opener when you go out and you see people, you know, eating at these um, at restaurants or, or any sort of food outlet. <laughs> and, and, well, even if they do have a plate of food, which, is, which they would regard as nutritious, they'd have a little bit of vegetables and they'd have packing, be it rice or pasta or, or something which is, the, which is the energy carbohydrates, but not really the nutrition, which is what we're really talking about in our last um, episode together. And I guess that's, as you're suggesting, compounding through the years, that's all we've got. And they're not sort of, the bodies are being weakened, I guess. That's correct, as time goes by. And, you know, when you look at the numbers, the, not just for influenza. I mean, now, for some reason, everybody focuses on influenza when it comes around every year. And, and mm. you know, but <clears throat> heart disease. I mean, there's, there's just as much heart disease now as there was 50 years ago. The only thing that conventional medical doctors have gotten better at is keeping people alive with emergency medicine after they have a heart attack. So you die from your fifth heart attack instead of dying from your first heart attack. But just as many people get heart disease as they always used to. Alzheimer's is out of control. It came from nowhere. Hmm. Now it's the sixth or the fifth leading cause of death in the United States, depending on how you crunch the numbers. And this is, and it's worldwide as well. Autism used to be one out of 60,000. Mm. Now it's one out of 40 children in the United States is autistic. The projections are that by the year 2050, half of the children in the United States will be on the, aut the autism spectrum. Isn't it shocking? And type 2 diabetes, it's accelerating. Arthritis is accelerating. Life expectancy is getting shorter, right? Mm -hmm. It's getting shorter. Mm -hmm. All of these things are not happening because of bad genes or Russian satellites right, beaming electromagnetic death rays to the planet, it's happening because conventional medical doctors are not trained in medicine. They're trained in allopathic medicine. And allopathic medicine is great for... Allopathic reductionistic MD-directed medicine, which is the... Machiavellian medicine of the majority in the world right now is the reason that we're all getting sick because under their tutelage that we're not trained or counseled or given medical advice about how to get healthy, how to cure an illness, how to recover our health, how to be healthy and strong. So under their care, which is disease management, we're getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And because it's a monopoly, and it's been a monopoly for over 100 years, and it's backed by gigantic pharmaceutical money, nobody questions it. I mean, most people don't even, are not even aware that we're under, you know, the, the, jack, the, the jack-booted heel of a medical monopoly, but it's been that way since 1912 here in the United States, and then it trickled down to the rest of the world. So it's a big problem. Lack of a free medical market is a gigantic problem, and it needs to change or the human race is going to get sick, suffer, go bankrupt, and then die. And on that positive note. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and this is why your show is so important. And I'm, you know, and this is why. Because people don't understand the simple fact of the matter that there are many different types of medicine. They're all equally you know, uh, scientifically based and valid and that they should have access to them. People don't understand it. People still are under the delusion, especially here in the Western Hemisphere, mm. that, you know, anybody, but people think that everybody except the MD is a quack, right? That's right. That's what standard mean. medicine that's dangerous and unscientific and unproven and it's nonsense. It's a lie. But this is kind of a, a cultural meme that exists here in the Western world that, you know, my colleagues and I are slowly hacking away at, but, you know, my people are destroyed. 
by lack of knowledge. And we, we need a free medical market. We don't have one. And because we don't have one, information like this needs to, you know, we need to populate this information around the world as quickly as possible. Right. Okay, so this year's flu, it's yeah. claimed lives. It's, it's been worse than others. We've, we've talked about the, the uh, one in 1913 what do we what do we do with this round? How how can we? <laughs> how do we fix it? What do we do? What the heck? Well, we need to have an understanding. Uh, we need to have an understanding of um, the nature of the virus itself. And if you want your your listeners should probably put something heavy on their heads because I'm about to make their brains explode right now. Let's do it. All right, <laughs> viruses are such strange organisms that scientists who, you know, they, they like categorize, you know, the life forms on the planet, you know, they have family trees of, you know, the mammals and the primates and the fish and the bugs and everything, right? Well, viruses are in their own category and they are considered organisms which, on, which are on the edge of life because they're not really alive. And they're not really dead. And a virus is a, a genetic code, some DNA, inside of a capsule, inside of a shell. And a virus can sit on the tabletop for a million years. And I'm not exaggerating. A virus can sit on a rock for a million years, completely, and it looks dead. It look, it's completely inert, right? Nothing mm. is happening. There is no life signature there at all, zero. And then by happenstance, when that virus gets taken up into the body of a plant or the body of an animal, all of a sudden it activates. Mm. And somehow it finds its way inside the cells of its host and the genetic material in the virus takes over the genetic material in the cell of the host and it uses the cell of the host to make copies of the virus. And so it's not alive. You, you can't kill it. How can you kill something that's not alive? It's, it, is an, it is an unbelievably fascinating organism. And, you know, contemporary sciences, they just kind of gloss over these distinctions. And, it, you know, a, a rational person would attempt to figure out what is the mechanism that drives this organism on the edge of life. It's like a, it's like a zombie, right? It's not dead. It's not alive. What the heck is it? Nobody knows. But instead of trying to figure that out and then to determine something that can, you know, deconstruct, destabilize the mechanism of the virus, all that conventional Western allopathic reductionistic pharmaceutical centrist Machiavellian monopolistic medicine does is deliver drugs to force the metabolism of the human body in a particular direction in order to deal with the effects of the viral infection or develop vaccines which attempt to stimulate the body's immune system to kill it. But the problem with vaccinations are that in order for a vaccine to be effective, it has to be 100% spot on specific to the structure of that particular virus. And every virus is different right? It's like being in a completely black room with 500 different cats. And you have to figure out which cat is the tabby cat just by touch. There's no way that you're going to ever do that. You have a one out of a 500 chance to do it. Well, to actively predict which virus is going to affect humanity at any particular, you know, viral season, I mean, it's your, your chances of winning the lottery are better, which is why the vaccines themselves are egregiously ineffective. I'll give you an example. I, I have a close friend of mine who lives in Detroit, and his kids go to a private school. And in his daughter's class, uh, or in his daughter's school, just last week, this is just last week, 96% of the children at the school were vaccinated for the flu. 96% of the children at the school were vaccinated for the flu and 82% of the children came down with the flu. So the vaccine for most people absolutely positively does not work. The only 
people that vaccines generally have, you know, a little bit of a positive impact on are infants, very young children, or elderly people who are like, you know, on death's door anyway. And, mm. and so really for, you know, dollar for dollar and research dollar for research dollar, the effectiveness of the vaccines are horrible. Yet because of the pharmaceutical influence and the relationship between the pharmaceutical industry and the governments of the world, you know, the governments buy vaccines from the pharmaceutical industry. I don't know why. Uh, and now they've got them and they have to sell them. So everybody gets vaccinated. They have these big vaccine, you know, campaigns. Oh, and if you don't vaccinate your child, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're criminal. It's your criminal behavior. Even though the vaccines for like 99% of the population just don't work. And, and, and then, which nobody talks about in, in open forums, you know, there are the side effects of the vaccines themselves. Sure. So not only do they not help most people, but, you know, they, they cause a massive amount of harm. And there have been billions with a B, billions of dollars of settlement payouts paid from the, from the, the Food and Drug Administration. There's a slush fund in the United States that pays victims of vaccines, but it's all hush-hush under the table. And, you know, it's the dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about. Would, vac would vaccines work with a virus that doesn't morph so rapidly, I, I believe something like measles, for example. Well, chickenpox, the chickenpox vaccine historically was extremely effective, mm. right? So sometimes vaccinations are effective, but not all viruses are created equally. You know, there are some viruses that are like tabby cats and there are some viruses that are like tigers. <laughs> and then there are some viruses that are like half lions and half eagles. And it's like, <laughs> what the heck is that? So you can't you can't put all these things on the same level and compare them because you you just can't do it. Okay. But now, interestingly, right? Here's another interesting fun fact to know and tell. The influenza virus specifically only manifests itself in the cold months of the year. So in the winter in the northern hemisphere, we get the influenza virus. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't happen in the Southern Hemisphere. I mean, there are people going from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere all the time on jet planes. They're carrying the influenza vector. The influenza vector is all around the world all the time because of jet airplane travel. So why does it only manifest itself in the cold months? Nobody has ever thought that it was wise to attempt to figure that out. And I, you know, if I were elected king of the world, that's where I would put the research money because it only happens in the cold months of the year. Why is that? Nobody I, knows. I think if you're king of the world, I think you'd be following the summer all the way around the globe. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nuts, man. But and also, you know, to, to kind of add insult to injury, which harkens back to the, the uh, uh, historical anecdote I was talking about before, the Spanish flu of 1918, 400 million people died, right? Let me give you some statistics here. <clears throat> the mortality rate of people treated with traditional medicine and drugs, allopathic, MD-directed, pharmaceutical medicine and drugs was 30%. 30% of the people who went to an MD for the Spanish flu of 1918 died. Whereas only 1% of the people who went to a homeopathic doctor who had the Spanish flu died. Homeopathy was extremely effective, an extremely effective, inexpensive, non-dangerous treatment for the flu. The worst flu humanity has ever known. Hmm. But if you talk to any medical doctor, they will tell you that homeopathy is quack medicine, that it's placebo, that it's a fiction, that it doesn't exist, and that it's all just nonsense. Hmm. And this is a problem because... And, you know, I could talk about the sociology that informs this and the reasons that I think this happens. But nonetheless, it happens. The people who are attracted to the MD profession are people who are emotionally immature, emotionally guarded, and intellectually cowardly. Because the education of an MD, or quite frankly, any doctor, and the doctoral degree granting program was, was developed in Germany. 
the Germans came up with it. And the doctoral degree granting program is designed to make the doctoral candidate think inside of a particular box. That's the goal. It's not to broaden their mind in kind of, you know, an all-encompassing objective scientific fashion. It's to make them, you know, toe the line, toe the professional line, which is why the halls of conventional medicine are littered with all of these failed theories, right? You know, first the medical doctors said, oh, you know, you have to bleed people, right? That's why the major medical journal in the world is called The Lancet, because that was the major tool of the medical doctors years ago. Wow, I didn't do that. Open up an artery and bleed you to let the bad humors out. Oh, right? my goodness. Gosh. That's what they did. Then they gave large doses of mercury. Then they gave large doses of calomel. And then, you know, on and on we go with failed therapeutics after failed therapeutics after failed therapeutics. But those things were the, all the rage in the time, even though they didn't work, because the medical doctors, for some reason, have a lot of political control and they all have been trained to think inside of this particular box. So even when their therapeutics fail, even when their therapeutics harm, even when their therapeutics kill, it is the rare doctor, the rare MD, who is going to think outside of the box inside of which they were trained. And you know, all their colleagues think the same way. Mm. And in the United States, I don't know how it is in the Orient, but in the yeah, United well, States, there are laws which prohibit medical doctors from you know doing alternative treatments well it started when they got the control over registration that's and right that, in 1913 had, and that's when they had the when they had everyone in their grip they they could state who or could who could not practice medicine and if you don't didn't sing their tune and you know out. how that happened it was the carnegies and the rockefellers who were the robber barons of the time, right? They owned the world. So they were like the Google and Facebook of the time, right? They lobbied Congress to uh, make the American Medical Association the only body in the United States that could determine who could become a doctor and who couldn't become a doctor. And the president of the uh, Carnegie's, the president of the Carnegie Foundation was the first director of the American Medical Association, which is tantamount today to, you know, like giving the guy that owns Amazon, right? What's his name? Bezos, Jeff Bezos. It's like giving Bezos, making Bezos the director of, you know, the Federal Trade Commission in the United States. That would never fly, but that's exactly what happened in the early 1900s. It was an aggressive, hostile legislative takeover of the practice of medicine. And that's the only reason that the medical doctors with such a, an unbelievably poor track record have maintained their top dog status because they legislated themselves there and they've aggressively kicked everybody else off of the bus of medicine and they all should, they all should go to jail because of it. Mm. But don't get me started. <laughs> I, think, I think I already did. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Peter. Now, okay, so the vaccines we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> this happened last time well, talking about vaccines at one point in time yeah yeah so what are we gonna do then so what do you do right what do you do you know like today and tomorrow and next week and every influenza season to make yourself less of mm. have less of a problem with the vaccine well the, the the easiest thing to do and you might find this silly and this is maybe kind of out of the box thinking but the most common vector of the influenza virus getting inside the body, right? And that's what needs to happen in order for it to activate and make people sick is somebody who has the flu sneezes, they'll cover the sneeze with their bare hands and now the virus is on their hands. And now they go out into public and they open a doorknob and now the virus is on the doorknob. Or they touch you know, a stair rail or an escalator or the countertop at the uh, coffee shop or someplace, right? And then an uninfected person comes along, they open up the door or they touch the countertop or the stair rail or whatever. Now the virus is on their hands hmm. and then they'll scratch their eye 
or they'll stick their finger in the, between their teeth to get something from between their teeth or whatever. And now the virus is inside their body. The most common vector for viral transmission is the hand. Okay. So you want to carry on your person an oil-based antiviral hand sanitizer and use it every three, four hours during the flu season. Because if you do that, that will effectively destabilize any virus that's happened to, you know, affect your, slatch onto your fingers or your hands, and it won't be able to get into your body. And if you have kids in school, you have to get a big canister of the hand sanitizer and put it on a wall mount. And if anybody comes into your house, especially children coming home from school during flu season, Nobody gains entry until they've sanitized their hands and then they can open the door and come into your house. And if you do that one simple thing, you will dramatically knock down the incidence of people in your family who are affected by the flu. Gosh, and that's simple. But why is it more prevalent in the winter? I think that's where we last, we went off on that tangent. Yeah, nobody knows, which is the oh. point. You know, you know, the, the, the theory is... Right. One of the ideas that's floated mm. is the cold weather is a negative stress on the metabolism of the human body. So during cold weather, the human body is weaker, the immune system is weaker, and it's more susceptible to, you know, becoming infected by anything. True. But nobody really knows. I mean, it might not have anything to do with the immune system. It might have something to do with the virus itself. And you know, that it, that it, it likes cold air. I mean, who knows? Nobody knows. But there are a lot of theories, but nobody is really very interested in investigating that. And it's a, it's just, there is so much childish, old fashioned, intractable, um, thought put into how to help people heal from disease that it is a tragedy of biblical proportions and the only way that it's going to ever going to change is if we have a free medical market you know we have a healthcare crisis here in the united states but not so much in china i mean there's more and more problems in china as more people in china develop a western diet but in china most people who are sick use traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, traditional Chinese botanical medicines, and they really only use Western medicine for trauma care, which is how it should be. And that's what needs to happen in the United States and Canada and the European Union. But the pharmaceutical lobby is so unbelievably strong here. I don't think that's ever going to happen in our lifetime. Gosh. Well, in, in China, I can, I can tell you, because I, I live here, <laughs> the, um, for a country that has so many smokers, um, yeah. it's, you don't see, I mean, there's no, you know, the, the hospitals aren't filled with inpatients. Uh, right. they, they seem to, and, and the medicine, when you go to see a doctor, they don't ask the questions that they ask, you know, in, in allopathic <laughs> clinics, they ask you really strange things and they, and they, and they do, um, diagnostics just by, you know, measuring your pulse and they can tell you about your heart, right. your spleen, your. That's remarkable. The Chinese pulse diagnosis is mm. just the side of metaphysical. I mean, it's remarkable stuff. But, you know, again, because of close-minded, dogmatic, MD thinking here in the West, Chinese medicine, oh, that's quackery. It doesn't work. It's nonsense. Acupuncture, it's nonsense. It's a fiction. It doesn't work. It's all placebo. And it's this type of thinking, which is par, it's normal. In conventional medical circles here in the United States, these are the people that are in power. Mm. And this is why everybody's sick, because we've got children playing with fire, delivering health care that's not really health care, it's disease management. And that's why we're sick all the time, because we've taken the wrong dog to the hunt. And this is now, there are, other things, there are other things that people can do besides sanitizing the hands regularly to upregulate their immune system if if the flu is coming around, <clears throat> one of the best things to do is a combination of two interesting natural substances. One is B-propolis, B-propolis, and the other is an, an alcohol extract of olive leaf. If you do 
an herbal medicine, an herbal tincture, an alcohol-based tincture of olive leaf extract, and you combine that with bee propolis, it's extremely effective in its antiviral activity. And if you were to take a little bit of that every day preventively yes. during influenza season, I think you'd go a long way towards never getting it. Or if you ever did get it, you'd, you'd have it for half the time that your neighbors did. Um, Carmela um, has asked online, um, which sanitizer would you recommend? You mentioned an oil-based. I guess oil-based would, would, the residue would be on your hands. That's correct, because alcohol-based sanitizers, they dry the skin out. Yes. And then the skin gets dry, and if you're using it all the time, like I'm recommending you do, then the skin's going to crack with an alcohol mm. sanitizer, and then you're going to be in deep trouble, because now it's really easy for the, for the virus to get into your body. It just has to get into your hand. Yes. So oil-based sanitizer, the best one I've ever seen is sold by the company called Longevity. And it's called Pure Works Sanitizing Foam or a Pure Works Sanitizing Foam. <clears throat> you, can, you can get that at a website called EiffelHealth.com. That's Eiffel like the tower in France, EiffelHealth.com. Eiffel like the tower, EiffelHealth.com. Pure Works Foaming Sanitizer. It's great stuff. Okay. Wow. I wonder if, um, you know, um, why the flu is so bad in the winter, people's noses tend to run and they wipe their noses. Or it could be. It, that could be. That could have a lot to do with it, right? That people are more likely to put their hands on their face in the wintertime. You're, that's absolutely correct. I never thought about that. That could be the reason. But, you know, I mean, during hay fever season here in the spring and the summer, people do a lot of that too and they true. don't get the flu. Mm, true. So, it's a really interesting question, don't you think? But it's, it's like glossed right over. I mean, nobody's looking at that. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's researching it. And this is the other problem that we have, you know, in the West, and I believe this is starting to trickle to other parts of the world. In the United States, like 90%, if not more, of the medical research that's done at universities here is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. That's where the university gets its money. It's grant mm. money. Mm. So they're not going to do research on bee propolis and olive leaf extract. They're not going to do that. They're going to do whatever the drug companies want them to do because that's who gave them the money. And see, this is another problem. And there's nothing illegal about that. But, you know, the holistic doctors can't compete. The nutritional supplement companies can't compete with pharmaceutical money. They just can't do it. And there are laws, quite frankly, that prohibit that in the United States. In the United States, the only thing that can legally treat a disease is a drug. The only thing that can treat a disease is a drug. If, if I did research and clinical studies and I proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that a dandelion root extract cured asthma, and I, could, I proved it scientifically, <clears throat> the Food and Drug Administration would make the dandelion medicine a prescription item and you wouldn't be able to get it without a prescription. <laughs> That's terrible. It's unbelievable. And, you know, we, we would not let something like this exist in any other industry. Right? I mean, if, if, if they tried to pass a law here that said, well, the only people that can sell hamburgers in the United States is McDonald's. Nobody else can sell hamburgers here. There'd be there'd be an outrage. We, we would not be okay with that. But that's exactly what's happened with medicine. And, you know, everybody looks the other way. And medicine is more important than a burger. I mean, medicine is <laughs> a lifeline for many people, you know, or healthcare is a lifeline. Many people need some sort of support. And the only alternative they have by uh, presented to them is drugs. That's right. And, you know, everybody's also kind of been socialized to believe that if the medical doctors can't figure it out, then nobody can. And everybody but the medical doctor practices substandard dangerous quack medicine. And you know, this is, that is starting to change, right? It was starting to change, but it's, it's a slow boat. And there's so much money behind the pharmaceutical industry. I, I'm, I honestly don't know that this is ever gonna change. But the good news is 
that there exists right now in real time, people like myself and my colleagues and brave people around the world who actually do have clinical experience with alternative quote unquote therapeutics. And we're doing our very best to educate as many people as we can that, you know, well, you have asthma. Well, here's what you should do. Oh, you have fibromyalgia. Here's what you should do. Oh, you have high blood pressure. Well, here's what you should do. Mm -hmm. Just to, you know, attempt to get your body into the game of healing. And there are a handful of us who are disseminating this information as far and as wide as we possibly can. Because if we are going to save humanity, it's going to be in a grassroots coalition, one person at a time. I, I doubt very much that this information is ever going to enter into the mainstream, not in my lifetime. But, you know, we have lifelines that we throw out to people. And if they're smart enough, wise enough, open-minded enough, or maybe at the end of their ropes enough, right, they're going to listen to what we have to say and maybe get lucky and get their health back. That's right. I guess um, most of the people that would come to you would be, um, their pockets would have been emptied <laughs> through. It's absolutely positively true. The vast majority of people that come to see holistic doctors in the United States were like their fourth choice. Yes. And the only reason they come to us is because nothing else worked. And, mm. you know, even though we get those people, right, most of the time, we're so successful that my profession is the most rapidly growing profession, medical profession in the United States. You know, we don't have the, we don't have the magic curing ring for everything, <laughs> but we do have a very sophisticated, open-minded uh, philosophy of healing, which is consistent with the reality of the human experience. And, you know, we get results often. Um, and really I have the easiest job in the world because all that I have to do is tell people to stop eating food that's hurting their body, counsel them to take nutrients into their body that the body needs as raw materials to fix itself, mm. stimulate the healing power of the body with some homeopathy or some botanical medicine or some acupuncture, and then get the hell out of the way and let the body fix itself. Mm. Because the fundamental concept which drives all holistic medical therapeutics, and it doesn't matter if it's acupuncture, if it's Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, homeopathy, naturopathic medicine, chiropractic medicine, it doesn't matter. All holistic medical disciplines agree on one thing, that the human body is inhabited by a spiritual force and the spiritual force is intelligent. And the spiritual force inside the body is running the show. The body knows how to fix itself. It wants to fix itself. It's attempting to fix itself. It's attempting to optimize its structure and function every day, all of the time. So it is the holistic doctor's sacred obligation to develop and deliver therapeutics which support the body's ability to fix itself. I mean, it's like giving a, an old, you know, neglected tomato plant that's on its last legs fertilizer and good soil and sunlight. You get the heck out of the way, the little plant's going to bounce back and get healthy again. And that's all that we do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's very, and you know, I mean, let's be honest, man. I mean, let's just be honest. Very few people even know how to pronounce naturopath, let alone know what it is. So, you know, we're swimming uphill, but it's much easier now than it was when I first graduated naturopathic medical school, you know, a long time ago. It seems like drugs are not working with nature. Would you go along with that? Like it's not. Yes, I would. And there's a, there's some distinctions to understand about that. That's a very good, it's a very good distinction. And it's a very interesting point to ponder, right? Mm -hmm. Because a, a medical doctor is atheistic in their training because they're trained in reductionistic medicine. And reductionism is based on the physics of Sir Isaac Newton, which argues that if it can't be measured, it does not exist. So since nobody's ever dissected the vital force or the spirit or the soul out of the human body, or they, they've never seen it with a CT scan or an x-ray, it doesn't exist. So the medical doctor is trained to believe that the human body is just a bag of biochemicals waiting to break. A medical doctor is trained to believe that consciousness itself is a function of biochemistry. And that when the body dies, consciousness dies, it's lights out, game over. Right. So 
when they see somebody who's dealing with an illness, their prerogative, based on their atheistic, childish, juvenile understanding of the human experience, is to deliver a synthetic man-made drug, the intention of which is to overpower the human body and to orchestrate a hostile takeover. So the drug attempts to force the biochemistry of the body in the direction that the medical doctor thinks it should go. Holistic therapeutics support the body's ability to fix itself. Mm-hmm. There's a gigantic difference between the two. And, you know, like, like I've always said, it's not the drug, it's how it's used. You know, I mean, every time I sit in the dentist's chair, right, I thank God for Novocaine, right? <laughs> I do. So sometimes you can use a drug effectively with, you know, with grace and actually evoke a healing response or dramatically eliminate somebody's suffering. But by and large, the way that the medical doctors are trained to use the drug is bad. And, you know, then you have side effects of the drug and then you need another drug because the body wears it out and then you need another drug and then you go bankrupt and then you die. Well, yeah, you need a larger cupboard to hold all these drugs that you're taking each each day. And you get these little um, capsule holders, (laughs) Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there's you know, AM, you know, lunchtime and PM compartments. So you've got all these, you know, room for all these drugs. It's, just, it's like incredible. And this is like, a, uh, this is normal. People are normal. It it's, it's- yeah, I know. I, you know, all of my patients, you know, I've got hundreds of patients all around the world. And, you know, it's, a, it's kind of an inside joke now that whenever they go to a conventional medical doctor, you know, like for an insurance medical checkup or they have to go for a checkup for work or because they're going into the military or something, right? <clears throat> they're, the, the, the nurse or the doctor who's attending them can't believe that they're not taking any medication. <laughs> they just, yeah. they can't yeah. believe it. They think that they're lying, right? Or that they're making it up or that they're hiding something. Because you're absolutely right. The norm here is for everybody. I mean, prescription antidepressants in the United States for children and teenagers has increased by 400% in the last 10 years. That's absolutely terrible. It's it's shocking. It's unbelievable. But this is what happens in a monopoly, right? I mean, if if by some genie in the bottle magic, we all woke up tomorrow and there were just as many naturopathic hospitals, just as many acupuncture hospitals, just as many homeopathic hospitals as there are MD hospitals, Mm -hmm. if medical insurance paid for all of it equally, and if universities did equal amounts of research on all medical disciplines, within five years, people practicing MD-directed allopathic general family practice medicine would be out of a job. Because in a free market, people gravitate towards what works. And for most of the conditions that most people go to the MD for, you know, their therapeutics don't work. And, you know, they'll save your life if you have a bullet in your arm, heaven forbid, Mm. right? Or, you know, you have a triple compound fracture of your leg because you're in an automobile accident. They'll save your life. That's what they're good at. Mm. But for most of the things that most people go to the doctor for, they're horrible and dangerous and there ought to be a law. Hmm. Okay, well, back on track again. Uh, this, this year's flu. Now, why do you th- do you think that the uh, the vaccine is um, now? In, in previous years, the flu hasn't had such a high fatality rate. Do you think the the vaccine is in, is in a way contributing to the problem? It might be, you know, because the, there is solid evidence to show that when people develop well, there's a condition called vaccinosis, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is a negative reaction to a vaccine. Guillain-Barre syndrome is, is one of the most famous, you know, that was a central nervous system pathology, which was a, a direct function of a vaccine. And when these things happen, it's other stuff in the vaccine besides the inactivated virus. So there'll be preservatives or some crazy chemical or something else that's in the vaccine. God only knows what it is. Mm-hmm. 
And when you inject that into the human body, it has a net negative effect on the human body and some people will be negatively affected by it. For instance, brand new research just, just done, I think last June, I think it was last June, made the startling conclusion, came to the startling conclusion based on solid scientific studies that children who were vaccinated infants especially who were vaccinated for whatever they were vaccinated for they're vaccinated for measles mumps rubella tuberculosis chicken pox whatever they were vaccinated for they develop a fever as a response to the vaccine which is what you would expect to happen it's a normal reaction to to the vaccination it's a good thing but the medical the md view of that is that the fever is bad we have to bring the fever down. So when these little babies would get a vaccine and then they develop a fever, the medical doctor would give them Tylenol, which is acetaminophen, in order to bring the fever down. And in many clinics, they would give the Tylenol shot immediately after they gave the vaccine because they knew that the kid was going to get a fever and so they were just trying to be proactive. Gosh. Well, as it turns out, there's a reaction between the Tylenol drug, the acetaminophen, and the stuff that's in the vaccine. It turns into a central nervous system, a chemical that destroys the central nervous system. So there's direct evidence to link the administration of Tylenol after a childhood vaccine with the development of autism. Gosh. And it's not the vaccine that did it. It was the Tylenol, which was given after the vaccine that did it. So it's never really clear what the culprit is, right? Hmm. But the simple fact of the matter is you're rolling the flipping dice if you choose to get vaccinated. You just are. Hmm. And, you know, as most people don't know this, but as a licensed naturopathic doctor in the United States, I can prescribe drugs. And in 30 years of clinical work, I've, I've had to do that once. And, you know, that was when I didn't know anything and I was two years out of medical school. So, again, <clears throat> the goal here is to every day eat food that's healthy for the body and that doesn't hurt the body. Mm. Every day swallow nutritional supplements that give your body the raw materials that it needs to optimize its structure and function to work Mm. the way that nature and God intended it to. Mm. And then on the off chance that you do get sick, you attempt to fix that condition with a holistic therapeutic, the intention of which is to strengthen the human body, to stimulate the body's built-in ability to fix the problem. Mm. And if you do that on a regular basis, then you're not, I would gain say that 0% of people who did that would have either ever get the flu or have any negative reactions to it. It would just be, you know, like a three, four, five day thing and then they'd be over it. Well, um, unknown negative reactions, it's like that um, the scientists are playing with things they don't fully understand. If it takes a, a (laughs) a subsequent study after people have suffered and lifetime suffering as a result of the reaction because of a lack of understanding. And it's much worse than that. It's much worse than that because in the United States, I mean, and this is not conspiracy theory. This has happened on numerous occasions. It's gone before Congress and Congress. Well, I'll tell you what happened, right? So Mm. here's a drug called Bextra that was given approval by the Food and Drug Administration. They fast-tracked it into production. Because, you know, the pharmaceutical company was glad handing the legislators to approve it because, you know, it was going to help suffering humanity and it was a pain medication, I think. And the Food and Drug Administration had okayed the use of Bextra for condition A. Okay. But the drug company was promoting the use of Bextra to doctors for condition B, C, and D which the research had not okayed. So the drug companies were lying to doctors, telling them that this drug was good for things that it hadn't been approved to treat. 
And the doctors didn't know any better. They trusted the drug company. They saw that it had been approved by the Food and Drug Administration, and thousands of people died as a result. And when all of this came to light, and it was Pfizer Pharmaceutical that manufactured this drug, when all of this came to light, the United States government determined that Pfizer Pharmaceutical was too big to jail. And so Pfizer Pharmaceutical created a shell corporation after the fact, which had all of the Baxter research and all of the Baxter information, and it was the Shell Corporation that was terminated, and Pfizer Pharmaceutical was fined a couple of million dollars. Nobody went to jail, and thousands of people died into the bargain, and that's the power of the pharmaceutical lobby. Same thing happened with Vioxx. Vioxx killed 50,000 people. It was a pain medication that was supposed to be the greatest pain medication ever made because it was side effect free, didn't make you addicted. It was great. Well, as it turns out, there was one side effect of Vioxx and that was death. Gosh. 50,000 people were killed by Vioxx. Nobody went to jail. A small fine to the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, for the icing on the cake of scientific objective hypocrisy, hmm. it is common practice for a pharmaceutical industry to roll out a brand new drug, right? So they develop a new drug and they'll do a hundred research studies about that drug. And there are 70 that say that the drug had a negative reaction. And there are 30 that say the drug had a positive reaction. They only published the 30 that said it had a positive reaction and that's perfectly legal. So the scientific community, the doctors in the field don't know the negative ramifications that this drug had because they weren't privy to that research. And this happens all of the time. The medical industry knows that it happens all of the time. I mean, it's, not, it's common knowledge. And nothing happens because it's gigantic money. And these businesses are too big to fail. They're too big to jail. And which, again, and I, can't, I cannot emphasize this enough, this is why what you do is so important because people need to be informed about what the heck is going on so they can make their own choice. Mm. <laughs> and that information is not available in the mainstream because the mainstream is bought and sold. It is. And, and so we you know we need to stand up and speak our truth. So again, my, my hat goes off to you for, for what you do. This is really kind of a big deal as far as I'm concerned. So you think that this year's vaccination could well have had trials which showed it had dangers and they only published the... Yes, of course it could have. And even if it didn't, I mean, you know, because of... Because those vaccines are different. Because vaccines need to be rolled out immediately. And there's no time to test them. True. Right. So scientists are developing right now vaccines for next year's flu. And they're extrapolating what and guessing what next year's flu virus is going to be like. So no, not possible. That's it's not, not possible, which is why the flu vaccine is so unbelievably ineffective. Right. Now, the chickenpox vaccine, extremely effective because, you know, that was that took years to develop and trial and error. And then, and then they did a, they, they figured it out. Hallelujah. Pass the hat. Again, yes. it's not the drug. It's how it's used. Yes. So, but the way that vaccines are developed and rolled out, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than having a positive response from a vaccine. And, you know, but it's politically incorrect to say that in, you know, the pharmaceutical controlled world of the 21st century. Isn't it funny you hear, if you do a search on the internet, you'll, you'll read about the dangers of colloidal silver. <laughs> and you'll, and you'll, you'll hear about turning blue. And I think there's like two people in the world, I think. Yeah. Have, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And those people, there was one guy who turned blue mm. and that guy was making colloidal silver in a garbage can in his garage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's a perfect point. I mean, it is a perfect point because if one naturopathic doctor gave one patient one botanical medicine and it killed him, Mm. It'll be headline news. That naturopathic doctor would go to jail. The whole profession would be shut down, and, and yeah. the, you know the headline news would be those quacks. Mm. Mm. But when the medical doctors do it, 
everybody gives them a pass. Not only do they give them a pass, but they give them more money to develop more medicine that kills more people. Yeah. And that's how deep the socialization has gone. And that's why we desperately need access to this type of information. Well, last, last time we had a summer, we left it on a positive note. So what can we think? Hey, mate, can, we, can, you, can you squeeze in one last? Now, realize, now washing hands, that's, that's a good, that's a, everyone can do it. They can, you know, get some sort of oil-based sanitizer. Have you got any other little um, snippet of information you can squeeze in here to make everyone smile again? Yeah, so uh, B propolis. Yes. And, and uh, uh, alcohol extract of olive leaf. Yes. Um, yes. To do that, the, the alcohol extract of olive leaf, you take, as an adult, you take two milliliters four times a day. As a child, you take two milliliters twice a day. Okay. And that can go a long, long way towards boosting your immune system. Oh, and during cold and flu season, eat more protein. Yes. Because your immune system is made from protein. Mm and avoid foods that are high in sugar because sugar is really good for the body. Sugar is the gasoline of the body. You couldn't blink an eyelash without sugar. Sugar gets a bad rap. Your DNA is made from sugar, mm. but it's how much sugar we, we eat. And mo most people, especially in the West, eat way too much sugar. And when you have too much sugar in your bloodstream, it puts your immune system to sleep. So during cold and flu season, you want to cut way down on your sugar intake, even if it's from a natural source like fresh squeezed orange juice. Okay. And eat a lot of protein and, you know, that's going to go a long way towards helping you. Great. Great. Well, we've come to the end of the seminar. Hey, thank you so much, Peter. You've, you've, um, you've um, <laughs> <laughs> covered all bases. It's, it's, it is an eye-opener, you know, how, how much an allopathic medicine gets away with. You know, with, it's with like, yeah, it's un, it, it, really, it really is unbelievable. I have to tell you, I don't, I don't share your pessimism when you're saying you, you don't think you'll see the paradigm shift in your lifetime. I yeah. believe we will. I believe that we will reach a point where people decide, well, we're going to learn really what, you know, we're going to learn more how to like, take after, you know, look after ourselves. How many, you know, many people go to the, to the doctors for an illness, they wait in a waiting room where everyone's sneezing and, and you know being sick all around them, and they're waiting for an hour for their you know their fifteen minute in, you know, interview to a person that once you walk out the door they're going to forget who you are or they'll remember you when you, if you haven't paid. Um, and and people have to start looking after themselves. And allopathic, uh, sorry, and um, holistic medicine, they uh, doctors they look look at the whole picture. That's what the word whole means, you know. That, that, um, and the results from um, visits to holistic doctors is is usually far better than if you you know leave the doctors go to chemist get your pills and then go home. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, you most people wouldn't believe the things I've seen patients recover from i mean it's it's a remarkably effective system of medicine and i hope that you're right i hope that this reaches like a hundredth monkey you know turning point where so many people in the world experience so many positive results from it that all of a sudden it's everywhere all the time i really hope that that happens so uh, people um, who are watching this video we've got twelve thousand of you on facebook tell your friends give them the links to the video tell them just just even if, if you don't if you don't um, go along with the view, just just watch it, because at the end of watching it, you know you'll you'll get um, you know uh, Dr. Philip Lydon's expert views, and these are views from his personal experience, and they do work. And for the t for the two times I've now interviewed Philip, he's never told one fib. He's talked the truth. He's told <laughs> the facts straight to the point. So I do recommend, please tell your friends about this video. Something as simple as washing your hands. I mean, how simple is that? I guess even if you didn't have this oil-based sanitizer, even just a soap, you know, and, and wash your hands more often, I guess, and, and watch, you know, just what you touch. Because when you're doing your shopping in the supermarket, you're holding a, a trolley handle that's been touched by hundreds and hundreds of other people, and you don't know what the health condition is of those people. And the viruses, if they last a long time on cold surfaces, they, in, they touch onto your hand, your hand's warm, then they start doing their bit, and, and, and uh, you become victim to the previous person's illness. So, um, gosh, you know, you've, 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 you've said it how it is, Peter. <laughs> I really enjoyed last time, I really enjoyed this time. So thank you so much for coming on board. 
Oh, I'm very, I'm very grateful to you and everything that you do. I'll come back anytime. Keep up the good work. And, uh, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So let's all stick together. It's a beautiful saying. And we'll finish on that note. Thank you so much for your time, Philip. Really appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you next time. Thanks. <laughs> thanks a million. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you a million.